You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, as you're grabbing seats, I want to remind you of remind you of a couple of things real quick. One, uh, next Sunday is our last Sunday before the renovation starts. So next Sunday, uh, we are going to um, ask those who can, those who have already signed up, to stay after the service uh, to help us relocate some of our items, to get them out of the way, to make preparations for those who will start coming on Monday to start renovating. Um, so one more week like this, and then uh, the next time we meet here, it's going to be uh, hopefully looking totally different, which will be interesting. So we're excited about that. Um, be in prayer that the timing will work out the, the way that um, the builders are thinking that it will, so we can get back in here as soon as possible. Remember, uh, starting March uh, the 12th, uh, we will be at First Baptist Sonoy, um, and the plan right now is to be there at 4 o'clock and have just a normal length uh, service there. So we're going to finalize some things with them. Uh, you'll be able to park downtown or around their church building, um, but we'll give you some more direct instructions about where to go when you get there, particularly if you need to drop off kids for nursery. Um, we're going to give you some clear directions about that, but that's coming in two weeks. Next week, we're going to start working to, um, after the service, move things around so that can, construction can start. All right, I'm going to pray for us to get us started, and then we're going to jump right into our application points for today. Lord, we love you and praise you and thank you for uh, the time of fellowship that we've already had this morning, uh, just the chance to come and have that extended time to talk and connect um, and, and encourage one another through conversation. Uh, we thank you for providing that for us today. And Lord, as we turn our attention now to uh, remembering what you've been teaching us through your word, I pray that our hearts and minds' attention would be directed towards you right now, that you would protect us from uh, distractions about what's coming the rest of the day. And instead, we'd be able to give you the next 30 to 45 minutes of our undivided attention as we get to worship you through the word, through singing, and through partaking of the Lord's Supper. And uh, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so most everybody that's here today has probably been to an application Sunday. Um, If not, these are every sixth Sunday. So after five sermons, we have an application Sunday. And you've already participated in part of that, what we do is we set aside time at the beginning of our service to just have extended fellowship around food. Um, Application Sunday breakfast have progressed over the years as far as what we've done. Um, What you see today is a lot of adjustments made because of COVID. Um, We used to all potluck it and bring our own breakfast dishes, and maybe one day in the future we'll get back to that. But for now, the, the breakfast part is just a starter point for us having time to just talk and connect and, and hang out a little bit because a lot of times we get here, we worship, and then we've got to leave because there's other things in our calendar. And so we try to carve that time out. The other part of Application Sunday is for us to review what we've been learning together in God's Word and then look at some direct application points. It's a time to just pause, to, to reflect back, to not just keep moving forward without having some level of accountability to say, have I done anything with what I've been hearing? It's always really uh, important for me, too, uh, to just have that time to where I'm not studying something new, but just reminding my own self of things that I've been teaching and learning. Um, It was a great time this morning for me to reflect back on our sermons together and to be reminded of things that I'm prone to forget five weeks later. So look forward to sharing some of that with you today. So five weeks ago, we were looking at Exodus chapter 6, 
verses 10 through 30. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Exodus chapter 6 and kind of follow along. We'll read portions of the scripture, um, but not the whole passages from each week. But Exodus chapter 6, verses 10 through 30, you'll remember this is uh, after Moses has had the interaction with uh, the children of Israel uh, in regards to Pharaoh making life harder. And so life has gotten harder for the Hebrew slaves. Uh, They're now rejecting Moses' leadership in response to that. And so we said when excuses swell in our minds and difficulty springs up in our path, we must remember that our call is to follow the Lord in obedience by trusting him to overcome our limitations and overwhelm our opposition as the great I am. What's that saying? Well, Moses starts to kick back once again because he's experienced difficulty. He's experienced challenges. He doesn't want to keep following through with obedience to God because he feels like people aren't listening. Why would he keep doing this? Why would he go back to Pharaoh when he's already experienced failure before Pharaoh? It's a reminder to us that our obedience isn't tied to our effectiveness, right? We've been talking about this for several weeks now that we're we're called to be faithful, We're called to be faithful to what God calls us to be obedient to and to not worry about the effectiveness piece. Remember, this is where the story changes. Remember, we talked about how uh, up until this point, the book of Exodus has been about the Hebrews' oppression. Uh, Pharaoh seems to be winning the battle. Um, And this is where the story changes. And that's why we have the genealogy kind of thrown in here for Moses and Aaron, because we see a, a, a reversal of the circumstances that starts to flow from here on out that God starts to gain the victory. God starts to uh, regain the footing in the lives of the Hebrews moving forward. It says in verse 10, So the Lord said to Moses, Go in, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, the people of Israel have not listened to me. How then shall Pharaoh listen to me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and about Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Down in verse 26, these are the Aaron and Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. It was they who spoke to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, about bringing out the people of Israel from Egypt. This Moses and this Aaron. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. So this is where the story changes, and the reminder to us is that we need, to be, uh, we need to keep being obedient no matter what the circumstances are around us, and regardless of how people are responding to us, that we need to have that learned discipline. And we talked about this some with our own kids and the ways that we're raising them, that they've got to learn the discipline that failure doesn't mean that we quit, that the first time we experience some challenges, we then throw it off and say, okay, well, I'm not going to do that again. That there needs to be a learned discipline of perseverance, right? And that's what Moses is having to learn here. That he's got to quit worrying about who's listening to him and start worrying about whether he's listening to God. And those genealogies that are given there to us that I didn't take the time to read again, they do remind us that God uses real people to do unreal things with his power. God uses real people to do unreal things with his power. These are real men. Aaron and Moses, these are the Aaron. These are the Moses to whom the Lord said, bring out the people of Israel. They're real men, but they're only men. The genealogy reminds us there's there's nothing uniquely special about these two guys, except for the fact that God intervenes in their life and empowers them to do these great things. 
Sometimes serving the Lord can be discouraging, and there will come times when you're tempted to stop following Him. But in those times, you need to preach to yourself and find others to preach to you as well. The simple message that He is the I Am. That's what, that's what God says to Moses, right? Verse 29, the Lord said to Moses, I am Yahweh. I am the I Am. Like, I'm going with you. Therefore, you can trust that you're going to be as effective as you need to be if you'll just be obedient and faithful to me, All right? So when the excuses swell up in our mind, we need to keep those things at the forefront of our attention. We then move to Exodus chapter 7, verse 1. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I'll lay my hand on Egypt and bring my host, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. We said we are called to trust and obey God by remembering he expects faithfulness rather than effectiveness from our efforts. And by remembering he controls our circumstances, even miraculously at times, to accomplish his great purposes. If we're following God's plan, then we must trust God to make it effective. We're faithful, we trust him with the results of it. He takes responsibility for the success of his commands, right? And so too often we get caught up in our obedience and whether our obedience is doing anything. Is it producing any change in other people or is it bringing about certain desired results? And if it's not, we, we are tempted to grow discouraged and to think, well, the obedience doesn't matter then. But God's reminding us here that the obedience does matter, that he's in control of the effectiveness of our obedience, but we are simply called to be obedient. We can't discount the miraculous being worked when all hope seems lost as well. God controls in ways and at speeds no human can. So think about what he tells them. He's like, look, your obedience is going to be, from your perspective, ineffective for a long time, right? Like, you're going to be going to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's going to reject you. Pharaoh's going to harden his heart. Like, you're going to see, like, a lack of success over and over and over again, and then, boom, I'm going to change it. It's going to radically change, and I'm going to rescue the people out of Israel. And so, just because we've been obedient and maybe we haven't seen change or we haven't seen progress and we may grow discouraged thinking like how much longer, what we get to remember, like the benefit of following this God is that he is miraculous and he does show his miraculous power to know that, and we've said this, like you can go to bed under some condition and wake up and it'd be completely different, completely different. I was talking with somebody this week who uh, uh, before, before we went on break, this teacher was sharing something with me and, and was very discouraged about it in, in, in their family's life. And uh, it seemed kind of a, a foregone conclusion that was going to happen, seemed like there was no way to stop it. And then talking to that teacher this week, like the whole thing changed. I mean, it, it, just, it just radically went in a different direction. And I couldn't help but think about this picture here, right? This is the type of God we serve. We pray to a God who maybe there doesn't show, maybe he doesn't show signs of working to us. And then all of a sudden we wake up the next morning and we see all kinds of progress. That's what happens here. He says, look, he's going to harden his heart a lot, but I am going to save Israel. So don't discount the miraculous being worked when all hope seems lost. We also have to keep in mind that God is missional in his plans, right? 
It's about communicating who he is versus making us comfortable. So a lot of times our circumstances aren't given to us because they are the best ways to make us comfortable. No, they're given to us because it's the best ways to make himself known in our life for others to even observe as well. I challenge you to evaluate your heart's status. Are you actively seeking to obey all that he's commanded? Or have you allowed certain aspects of your heart to become hardened due to the deceitfulness of sin? We moved into verse 8 the following week, and we said, Our superior God always swallows inferior counterfeits, which gives us great responsibility to maximize our obedient responses to him who is real, while making sure we are never deceived and hardened to feel other gods can satisfy. This is where Moses and Aaron go before Pharaoh in obedience, even though they're hesitant to do it. They, they trust that God's going to work beyond their limitations, and they go before Pharaoh. They demand that, that he let the people go, and they begin to work these miraculous signs and wonders, right? Aaron throws his staff down, turns into a snake. Pharaoh brings his people before them as well. They throw their staffs down, they turn into snakes too, and it's Moses' staff that swallows up the other serpents. It reminds us that our God is superior to other gods. The major question that we've talked about being framed in the plagues is, who is your God? Remember, we talked about how 1 Thessalonians, Paul highlights the Thessalonian people are known for their faith because they turn from idols to the living God. True Christians turn from idols to the living God. Our call is to judge him as superior and to obey him in response to that. So the plagues are kind of a, a teaching point for us too. Like we're to, we're to look into this and see our own lives here. Do we put more value on other gods than the one true God? We need to see he is far superior to other gods. And that's what the plagues teach us. We've talked about that, that power and pleasure and profit that's so tempting to us. That's what culture feeds us, that we need to pursue power. We need to pursue pleasure. We need to pursue profit. Those are the things that ought to drive us when we wake up in the morning. But those make poor gods. We need to remember that God ultimately swallows those things up. He's real. He's the one that offers the security to us, not those things. We talked about not seeing the work of God and being guilty of ignoring it like Pharaoh. He sees these signs and wonders. He sees what's to be true. He ignores it. He hardens his heart. We want to be careful that we don't do the same. Then two weeks ago, we looked at Exodus chapter 7, verses 14 through uh, chapter 8, verses 19. It says, The plagues remind us that we are to worship God by trusting him alone for everything we need. The what, the when, and the how. Because he alone is stable, and when compared to the counterfeit gods out there, None are like him. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. And you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. We talked about how uh, a lot of the key truths that we know about God are reinforced in the plagues. They become more clear to us through the plagues. Helps us to fight the temptation to bow to these other gods, to these other idols, when we know the truths about God to be true. 
right? We don't just have to read verses that say God is like something. We can see him being like those things through these narrative stories. I challenge you on this week, don't view these stories as outdated issues that we don't struggle with today. Instead, see that our gods need to be swallowed up too. Remember the question that Pharaoh asked um, when, when Moses and Aaron first came to him? What was, that, what was that question that he asked in response to when they first come and say, let, let the people go? Does anybody remember? What's the question that Pharaoh asked back to Moses and Aaron? Yeah, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Right? He was unfamiliar with the Lord, didn't know Yahweh. Maybe he'd heard a little bit about the Hebrew religion, but had never given it much attention. And so his response is, I don't know this Lord. Why should I obey his voice? I want to pause for a minute and talk to our youth and our kids here for a second, because you guys are going to be in a different position when you get to the age where you start to step out from your parents' house, right? Some of you are already there. Some of you have just experienced that. Some of you know it's coming in the next few months or the next couple of years, right? And, and really, you're going to be faced with the decision of who is the Lord that I should obey his voice because mom and dad aren't going to be there anymore to tell you to do it, right? You're going to have to wake up each morning and decide, am I going to serve him or not? I want to challenge you to ask a different question to yourself, okay? Don't ask the question that Pharaoh asked. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Because that is rooted in either I don't know him or he needs to prove himself to me. And most of you are in a position where you're not unfamiliar with the God that we worship. You're not unfamiliar with the, gods that, with the God that your parent worships. Most of you have grown up in church most of you have gone through Sunday school and Disciple Nows and all kinds of other Bible classes. You know who this God is. So my question that I would want you to ask yourself when you step out from your parents' house is, who is the Lord not that I should not obey his voice? Who is the Lord not that I should not obey his voice? Meaning, like, what has he, what has he failed to do that would keep me from following him? I think you'll find that there's, there's, nothing, there was no, there's nothing left there for, for you to argue that you shouldn't follow him. There's coming a day where you're going to have to, you're going to, have to decide for yourself, am I going to do all the things that my parents have taught me to do? All these habits and disciplines that my, my, my parents have tried to teach me, will I follow through and keep that as part of my life? Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? Who is the Lord not that I should not obey his voice? Like, to, to, to make the decision that, that maybe you're going to do things different, you're going to walk away from the Lord. Maybe you don't believe this stuff. Man, I would challenge you to really think through, why would I do that? Like, what has he failed to do that would lead me to think that I should walk away from him? He's the only stable God out there. That's what, that's what God does when he goes after the Nile River right off the bat here. He wants to attack in Pharaoh's mind and in the Egyptian minds, that all religions are equal and they're valid and they're the same. No, he wants to attack the idea that I have the right to live how I want to live. He attacks both of those things, right? Because Pharaoh would have thought maybe that all religions are the same. We worship how we want, you worship how you want. And God goes after their main God, the Nile River, and says, that thing's not stable. It doesn't provide for you. 
for our youth, for our kids. Like, I want you to hear that message constantly from, from me as your pastor, from, from all those here at our church that try to pour into you, that the God we worship is the stable. He is the one who faithfully provides. He is the one who always remains in control. Why would we not obey his voice? He provides he shows that through the curse on the Nile River. He does it in his timing. He shows how the, the frogs can be removed when he decides to remove them. And the Egyptians talk about his finger being on every aspect of what's happening. Remember the, the, the magicians come back and they say, we can't produce the gnats like the God of Israel has done. This is his finger. Like we're not capable of doing this. We're called to worship God as the sovereign creator who controls everything to provide what we need, when we need it, and how we need it. We need to avoid seeing God's finger around us and only believing certain aspects about God and then failing to turn to him for life-altering salvation. Kids, don't, don't grow up in a, in a Christian home. Don't grow up in this church. Believe certain things about God. Then get out on your own and fail to follow him. Don't miss the things that you're seeing around you. Don't miss the things that God's doing. Let that drive you to follow him when the choice comes down to, to you really being able to choose because you're not with your parents anymore. Last week, we looked at Exodus chapter 8, verse 20 through 9, verse 12. The next three plagues. The Nile River turned to blood. The frogs come and annoy the Egyptians. The gnats show up and continue that process. But then we said that the plagues start to, to change and they become less annoying and more painful, right? The, the flies that come, we said, were, were a biting type fly that in the Psalms, they're pictured as devouring the people. Then you've got the personal loss that's felt with the, the cattle plague uh, where they're um, their wealth is attacked because the, the dead cows and the, the camels and the donkeys and the livestock are, are addressed. And then you have the boils, right? These, these painful boils that are applied to their skin that brings a lot of distress upon them. We said that we're called to obey God fully without compromise at all times, not just when we feel like we need a jolt of God's care in the midst of crisis, because God is always working to protect his people, even at times when we are unaware. We're called to obey God fully without compromise at all times, not just when we feel like we need a jolt of God's care in the midst of crisis, because God is always working to protect his people, even at times when we're unaware. So last week we talked extensively about how Pharaoh starts to want to bargain with God after the, um, after the gnats. Um, right? Like he, he, he wants to start bargaining, or after, actually it's after the flies. Like he wants to start bargaining and saying like, hey, if you'll take these away, then, then I'll let you go worship. It's going to be under my conditions, not the ones that you've suggested, but we can maybe meet in the middle and I'll let you do some worshiping, but you got to be close enough to come back when I call you back kind of a thing. All right? So he kind of pitches this idea because I think Pharaoh's starting to realize crisis mode is starting to hit, right? Like he's getting a lot of kickback from angry Egyptians about how they're being impacted. Right, and so probably starting to even get some some advisement to like, hey, we should probably let the people of Israel go. Like, it would be better to let them go, so we don't have to deal with this. Um, and so he starts to want to bargain with God because of this crisis that kind of hits, and 
Uh, he wants the, the people to compromise um, what they're willing to do uh, if, if God will just remove the plague from them. And this is where God really begins to communicate his care for the Hebrew people, right? We said that once the, the plagues go from annoyance to painful, God says, I'm going to protect my people from it. Like they're not going to get hit with these plagues. And the implication is that they have been dealing with the plagues previously. And so we talked last week, there are things that God carries you through. There are plagues that you go through, and then there's plagues that you don't go through. Sometimes you never even know about them. God's grace and his mercy spares you from things. And a lot of times we hyper-focus on the things that, that are going on in our life, and we maybe question God's goodness, and we don't see how he's sustaining us and carrying us through these things. And we often fail to even consider the fact, what if God's sparing me from things that I don't even know about? Like grief and heartache and pain and distress that, that could be coming into my life, but he's shielding me from those things. The lesson that we see in these three plagues is that God spares his children from the hard circumstances that would be neither good or appropriate. Good or appropriate. Those two words are key because remember I told you last week, we have two of the most precious promises that we can have. Romans 8.28 tells us that everything we experience will be used for good in our life. So if it's not good, we don't get it. God spares us from it. That's the promise there. If he can't use it for good or won't use it for good, then we don't go through it. But then we're also spared from things that would be inappropriate for us. 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 through 10 says we've been spared from the wrath to come. It would not be appropriate for God's wrath to be poured out on us because Christ has already absorbed that on our behalf. He did that on the cross, right? So the two greatest promises that we could ever have, anything in this life is filtered through God's goodness. We don't get it unless God uses it for good. And then we also have things to come in the afterlife. We only get the things that are appropriate for us, things that would be inappropriate to us as God's children. We're spared from those things, right? Um, a great truth is found in uh, Psalm chapter 18. Our kids at uh, Trinity are going to be memorizing this soon, coming up in the next few months. Psalm chapter 18, verse 28 says, For it is you who light my lamp. The Lord my God lightens my darkness. Verse 30 says, This God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. That's what we're seeing here with these next three plagues, is God is a shield. He is a refuge for those who, 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 who come to him, right? So that's the truth piece of God's word, right? We can read this and say, hey, that's pretty cool. Like, uh, God lights my darkness. He, um, he is the way, right? He lights my lamp. He's perfect. He proves true. He's a shield for those who take refuge in him. That's a truth that we can read about. The narrative that shows us that to be true is the plagues. The fact that Goshen is spared from these things. There's, there's like a shield put up and the, the flies can't get through, right? The boils can't get through. The, the, the airborne disease that's calling all, causing all the other livestock to die, it doesn't get through this shield, right? The only things that get through the shield are things that are good for us or appropriate for us. And if they're not, the shield cuts them off. Like that, what a, what a great promise that's given to us. 
We're called to obey God fully without compromise at all times because we can believe that whatever he's carrying us through, it's gotten through the shield for a reason. It's intentional. It's purposeful. And God makes it very clear to Pharaoh, he's not interested in obedience that's coupled with compromise. Right? So for us, as we're weighing out our call to be obedient, we don't get to negotiate and minimize God's commands. God's what, God wouldn't hear it from Pharaoh here either. And he's not interested in us only following him when crisis hits. The last lesson we learned last week was when most needed, our God is the only reliable option, as all other gods will find themselves unavailable eventually. Remember this last plague with the boils? Uh, the, the Egyptian magicians, they can't even come before God or before Pharaoh. Right? Pharaoh's like, hey, come help. Like, come do your thing. And they're like, dude, we can't. We got to sit this one out. We're calling in sick. Like, we got boils all over us too. Like, we, we, we can't even come. Like, so these are the, these are the people that kind of represent their gods and they're having to call out sick. They can't come be a part of this. They're unavailable. At some point, the power and the pleasure and the profit that we're tempted to go after, it'll run out. That well will dry up and that God won't be available for us anymore. It may be available for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, right? Um, people run after those things. Uh, that They seize power and, and usurp power dishonestly. They, they go outside of God's bounds for pleasure to try to seek pleasure. They, uh, they try to find profit through dishonest gain. And those things maybe satisfy for a while, but eventually the truth hits. Even if it's not until the end of the life. And, and that God's unavailable when you need it most. The challenge I gave you last week is, are you softening or hardening your heart to the call to trust your experiences in the hands of God and to obey Him fully, even when tempted by the worldly allures? Every decision we take takes us closer to a habit and a way of life. Are we softening or hardening to God? Softening or hardening? We'll take steps to soften. It'll create habits in our life and a way of life. We start taking steps toward hardening. We get deceived by the deceitfulness of sin. We grow hard to the things of God if we're not careful. All right, I want to give you four things to remember and four things to do. And they're always tied together. So things to remember, then I'm going to give you application points for those four things to remember, right? So the four things to remember come from all five of these sermons. Number one, my faithfulness to trust and obey God rather than my effectiveness to find success in ministry marks me on his side of the cosmic war. Remember, we said that the plagues are the, uh, the visualization of the cosmic war that's happening behind the scenes in the spiritual realm, right? Back in Genesis, God tells Satan, I'm going to divide you and your people from my people. There's going to be division and enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. The plagues are the, the visualization of that war, right? Pharaoh representing Satan and his forces. God representing his people, right? And so which side of the cosmic war are we on? Well, it's not that if we're successful in ministry that we're God's people. It's whether we're faithful or not. Remember, it's our faithfulness to trust and obey God, not our effectiveness and success in ministry that marks us as his. We're called to be faithful. We're called to trust him. We're called to obey him. We trust him with the effective piece. That's not our responsibility. He takes responsibility for it. it. means you stay obedient, even if you don't feel like it's making a difference. You keep doing what you're called to do. You trust that at some point, if you're sowing, you're going to reap. 
That's what we're called to do. Number two, God can and does work miracles in my life to carry out the plans he has for me within his overall purposes for his glory. He can and does work miracles in my life to carry out the plans he has for me within his overall purposes for his glory. He's still in the business of doing things that blow our minds. He's still in the business of doing things that feel unreal to us. He's still a God who does things and and, and is sovereign over things in ways that humans can't be. He controls human hearts and he can change them in a moment's notice. Number three, the world's allures, power, pleasure, and profit. They make lousy gods because they're not stable to deliver what we need when we need it. The things that the world offers us, they make lousy gods because they're not stable to deliver what we need when we need it. Then number four, God carries us through a lot, but he also spares us from a lot, some of which we're aware of and some of which we're not. He carries us through a lot. He spares us from a lot. Some of that we're aware of, some of it we're not aware of it. But we need to remember that. There's times when we're going to be tempted to to think harshly about God because of what he's carrying us through. Maybe we don't feel like he's carrying us through it. Maybe we feel like he pushed us into it. Um, And we're going to be prone to think harsh things about him. And if we'll just pause and think through, like, what are the things that he's pulled us back from that we don't even know about? The things that he shielded us from that we never even knew were coming. He takes care of us in ways that we don't always think about. These are the things to remember from these five sermons. Faithfulness over effectiveness. God works miracles. He still does that in our life. The world's gods, they make lousy gods because they're not always available when we need them. God carries us through a lot and he spares us from a lot too. All right, what do we do for those things that we remember? What do we do? All right, are you currently being obedient in a certain area and seeing little to no success from that obedience? Maybe, maybe you're in a position right now where there's some, something specific in your life where you're trying to be obedient, you're trying to do the right thing, you're trying to do what God's called you to do or be, and you don't feel like you're seeing progress or you don't feel like you're seeing any type of success, right? Like you, you're pouring into somebody or, or you're trying to, to do this and you just don't feel like anything's happening, and you start to, to blur the lines of, well, why am I not being effective as though like it's your job to be effective? Now, your job's to be faithful and obedient. I would encourage you if you're in that kind of spot right now where you have put yourself forward in faithful obedience, that you, you, run, you need to be aware that you run the risk of fizzling out, right? And so I would encourage you from a point of application to share that situation with someone who can keep encouraging you. Right? The Bible says we need people to stir us up to love and good works. We need someone to, to keep us from being hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need people in our life who encourage us and keep us pressing on and keep us persevering. So if you feel like, hey, you know, that's me right now in this specific spot in my life. I've been trying to be faithful, trying to be obedient here, and I feel like I'm running into a brick wall and it's not having any effect or any impact. You need to share that with somebody so they can keep encouraging you to be faithful and obedient. Because if you keep trying to do that on your own power, you're going to run the risk of fizzling out. 
Number two, are you currently in need of a miracle from God to create change in your life regarding a specific area? Is there something in your life where you say, you know what, like, it seems hopeless and impossible for God to work change here. Like, this would be big for God to do this. Like, it feels like this person's life in my life is on a certain trajectory and it's not going to ever change. And I would encourage you to commit to pray about that specific area every day for the next six weeks. Until our next application Sunday, you pray about that every day for the next six weeks. I can't promise you that God's going to change it or do something miraculous. I can promise you that he's capable of it if he wants to, though. And I also know that the New Testament tells us you have not because you ask not. And I would encourage you, pray, believing. Like, the way we show we believe he's a miraculous God is we pray to that miraculous God and we ask him to work and move in miraculous ways. So if you're in need of a miracle from God to see something changed in your life and you believe, hey, this is part of God's will, this would be part of his purpose, you commit to praying that every day for the next six weeks. Number three, are you currently being drawn to either power, pleasure, or profit in an unhealthy way? Maybe you're sitting here saying, you know what, like, one of those has gotten me recently. And I've gotten, I've veered off and I've started to pursue that in ways that are, that are not holy. And I would challenge you from a point of application to repent of any sinful activity and make it right with God and others. There's been anything that you've done to pursue power or pleasure or profit outside of God's will, outside of the ways that God's called us to. And you repent of that activity. You make it right with God and others. That's your point of application for that piece. And then number four, are you allowing hard things in your life to produce harsh thoughts about God in your heart? Are you allowing hard things in your life to produce harsh thoughts about God in your heart? Be careful of that spot. Be careful of letting that sit there too long. I'd encourage you to spend some intentional time reading various Psalms over the next six weeks. Remember, when we did our study in Psalms, we talked about Hey, there's some honest, raw thoughts here from the psalmist to God and about God. And these are prayers where they're doing business with God. And what we oftentimes saw in the midst of those psalms was their hearts being changed as they prayed and they learned to worship once again the God that they know who takes care of them. And I'd encourage you, if you, if you feel like, hey, I'm, I'm feeling kind of hardened towards the things of God, like I feel like he's let me down or he hasn't carried me through and, and I feel like I'm going through some plagues in my life right now that feel unduly harsh towards me, then I would drive you to the Psalms for the next six weeks. Whatever your study plan or personal devotions, I'd, I'd maybe change them for the next six weeks and say, I'm going to go spend some time in the Psalms and I'm going to read about how my concerns need to be filtered through his cares, Right? These are concerns that I have about you, God. And let him speak to you and remind you, hey, my care has never stopped. I'm carrying you through these plagues and I'm protecting you from a whole lot more that you don't know about. Let your concerns be filtered through his cares by reading through the book of Psalms over the next six weeks. Hopefully you can find one area here where you can say, you know what, that's, that's me. I need that point of application because there's a lot of different uh, perspectives there that Hopefully one of them kind of hits for you and you can say, you know what, I'm going to take that and do that in response to what we've been learning over the last five weeks. Stay faithful and obedient. Keep trusting in the miraculous works of God. Keep reminding yourself the world's gods make lousy gods. And keep remembering that God cares for you as his people. He protects you from a whole lot that you don't even know about. 
So trust him in the midst of the hard things you are going through and knowing that he will carry you through. All right, let's turn our attention to um, the Lord's Supper. The reason we partake of the Lord's Supper here on Application Sundays at Sovereign Hope is because like you hear this stuff after five weeks and you, and you see this and like hopefully there's something in your heart that says, yeah, like let's, let's do this, right? Let's do this together. We are going to do it together. We're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. That's our, that's our thing that we get to do that God has given to us. That's kind of our, our outward expression of what we're feeling on the inside that, hey, I'm saying yes to Jesus. Uh, I'm still saying yes to Jesus. Um, I want these things to be true in my life, right? Like I want to be soft and, and, and um, responsive to him. I don't want to be hard. Um, so the Lord's Supper is reserved for these days because it gives us that community way to show our unity towards Jesus and towards the things that he's doing in our life. And Paul gives us the instructions. We read this every time because I want, to, I want you to see that we do this for a reason. Because if you're, if you're a kid or a youth, like you may wonder, like, it's so weird that we do this. Like, like is this just something we do because it's tradition? Uh, well, there's certainly a traditional piece to it, like the, the, the ways that we do it and whatnot. But the why for doing it is absolutely rooted in Scripture. And he goes all the way back to Jesus' last night with his disciples, right? And Paul says in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we worship in this manner by partaking of the Lord's Supper, not because it saves us, right? One thing that, that I remember my dad talking about when he was pastoring is he was always intentional to say when giving the Lord's Supper, it does not save us, right? There can never be confusion about that. We are not asking you to do anything that saves you or keeps you saved. We are asking you to do something in obedience, though. Something that we're called to do until Jesus comes back. Um, this is an invitation to anyone who's a believer. So, so these are things that we believe about the Lord's Supper here at Sovereign Hope. You go to a different church, they may believe things differently. What we believe here, what we believe Scripture is very clear about, is that this does not save us. Right? Baptism doesn't save us. The Lord's Supper doesn't save us. Jesus saves us. It's His work, not ours. It's our faith in Him that saves us, right? So uh, this doesn't save us. This doesn't keep us saved. Um, and this is for believers. So whether you're a member of our church or not, we invite you to partake. This is, this is for believers. Um, so we would ask anybody who's not a believer to not partake. Um, and to do it with a, with a heart that's um, desiring to follow Jesus. And, and if your heart's not that way, then we're going to give you some time to pray and, and repent of that if need be. Because this is meant to be an outward expression of, of what you are holding and clinging to inside. Um, and because it doesn't save you or keep you saved, there's no motivation to do it without the right heart, right? Your heart needs to be right. And if it's not, you don't need to partake either today if you don't, if you don't have the right heart. Now, uh, hear me on this. It doesn't mean if you had a good week, you get to partake of it, right? We've said that before. And we come to, we come to church every Sunday and we come with repentant hearts because we have messed up, all of us, all week long. But if our heart is prone to repentance and it's softened, then we partake, if there's a hardness there, we get that right. This gives us a little bit of time to ponder that 
as Tyson comes and leads us in time of singing, as we prepare our hearts to then partake as a responsive worship. Let's pray together. God, we love you. We do praise you and we do thank you for the truths that we've seen in your word. We thank you that you do carry us through so much and spare us from so much more. God, we're thankful that you are a God who works miracles in our life to change our circumstances in a moment's notice when it fits your purposes and plans. God, we're thankful that uh, you've called us to be faithful and obedient, and those are things that we can do. You've not called us to be effective. We trust you with that. So God, I pray that you'd be with our people today who are striving to be faithful and obedient, and maybe you're a bit discouraged because they feel like, what's the point? I don't see any fruit from it. God, I pray that, they, that you would use people in their life to stir them up, to keep them stirred up to love and good works. Use people in their life to keep them from being hardened to the deceitfulness of sin. God, I pray that you'd empower our people to see that they need to, they need to keep trusting you as a miraculous God, and they need to pray to you if they need a miracle today. If there's something that they know can only be done by you, God, drive them to pray to you, believing that you can work and move in those ways. God, protect us all from the, the gods of this world. And if we've been tempted and given into temptation recently to go after power and pleasure and profit, God, convict us of it. Give us a soft heart to repent of it, to make it right with you, to make it right with others if we need to. And God, if we've got a, a, a harshness towards you right now because of things you've, you've put in our life, Lord, I pray that you'd soften us back up. Give us a desire to be in your word whether it's the Psalms or, or other aspects, God, we know that uh, if we'll take our concerns to you, you'll respond with reminders about how you've cared for us. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that, that he has taken the wrath that would have been appropriate for us and now is inappropriate because we're your, child, your children. We thank you for that. We thank you for the bread that represents his perfect life. We thank you for the juice that represents the sacrificial blood. We know it took both to save us, a perfect life and a wrath-satisfying death. We praise you for both. God, I pray that you'd accept our partaking today as an act of worship, an act of unity, as we wait for you to come back. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.